This is the Turn on the Jets podcast. With the third pick in the 2018 NFL Draft, the New York Jets select Sam Darnold, quarterback, USC. What should the Jets expect from you? Um, a lot of wins. And now, here's your host, Joe Caparoso. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso, owner of TurnOnTheJets.com. This week, we're going to be joined by the voice of the New York Jets, Bob Oshusen. Second time he's joined us on the podcast. Uh, we're going to get to that interview in a few minutes. First, I'm going to work through uh, my predictions for the Jets 2018 season. I wrote an article on this a couple of days ago on the website. I'm going to talk through some just high-level thoughts about my expectations for the team this year, uh, and then we'll jump into our interview with Bob. Before we get to that, I want to remind you guys of our two sponsors of the podcast. First, Willie McBride's on 6th and Grand in Hoboken, New Jersey. Make sure to come out on September 30th for our watch party and post-game podcast when the Jets play the Jacksonville Jaguars. Already have a nice chunk of people who RSVP'd to that. So make sure all football season long to check out Willie McBride's at 6th and Grand in Hoboken, New Jersey. Also, our podcast is brought to you by Razor Sport. R-A-Z-E-R-S-P-O-R-T dot com for all of your gambling advice for the 2018 NFL season. Join their members section. Follow them on Twitter at Razor Sport Club. Again, that's R-A-Z-E-R-S-P-O-R-T dot com, Razorsport.com. All right. So quickly going to rip through some of my high-level thoughts on the team this season, what my predictions and expectations are. Overall, I have the Jets going 7-9 and nine this season. Uh, I think they're going to start off 4-4, four 5-5 four, five five at the bye week is what I outlined at the article. I think the first 10 games of the schedule are much more friendly than the final six games of the schedule, uh, which include two games against New England, uh, Houston, Green Bay. Um, more, probably their most challenging stretch comes down those, those final few weeks. And, of course, that's what it looks like on paper. Things could change. People could get hurt. But I do think this team has a chance to play about 500 football for most of the season and be playing somewhat meaningful games in December because I think the AFC is pretty weak. I mean, ultimately, I see the ceiling for this year's team as basically last year's Bills team. And that is basically a 9-7 and team who gets in because the AFC is pretty weak. I think it's more realistic that they are in that 7-9 and nine range. I suppose I would think the floor it would be another 5-11 and 11 season, which would be disappointing after some of the improvements and adjustments they made to the roster this year. I also believe that if they go 5-11 and 11 again, Todd Bowles will not be back for next season. I do think, though, that if they can get to 7-9 and nine and they're 5-5 five and five or 6-6 six and six and they're 500 into December, that he will be back. And I am predicting that both Bowles and McCagnum will be back next year with a playoff mandate for 2019. I think 2019, considering the cap situation, is really going to be looked at as a playoff or bust type season for this entire regime. They've already, they're already heading into year four with no playoff appearances. They get through another year of that. You're not going to stick with the same guy if they go five straight years without making the playoffs. So uh, I do think this year, if they narrowly miss it, they'll get a mulligan and they'll be back to build further with the cap space. Uh, and I do think ultimately uh, they will go seven to nine and fall a little bit short. In terms of other players who I do think will or won't be back next year, uh, Quincy Inua, I think, will lead the team in receptions this year, while Robbie Anderson will lead the team in receiving yards. I think Inua will get a new contract from this team after the season. I think Leonard Williams will lead the team in sacks with a seven. 
Uh, he will also get a new contract. I don't think he's going to be an all-pro player this year. I think he'll be a Pro Bowl alternate, similar to how he was a couple of years ago. Not someone who's sort of that first-round selection, but someone who will be an alternate and he'll remain a good-to-very-good starter and pace the Jets in sacks and get that new contract. I think Jamal Adams will have a better sophomore year than rookie year. I don't think he's going to quite be an all-pro. I also think he'll be a Pro Bowl alternate, but I do think he'll make some strides in coverage. I think Marcus May, if he's healthy, and right now we don't know if he's going to play week one, is going to struggle this season, particularly when he first gets back out there, whether that's week one, week two, week three. I think he's missed a ton of time this offseason. I think he struggled down the stretch last year. I think that could potentially be a problematic spot for the Jets this season if a guy like Doug, Doug Middleton or Terrence Brooks is not able to pick up the slack. I think Darren Lee will continue to struggle at inside linebacker for the Jets, and after this season, he will be on the trade block, and they will not pick up his fifth-year option on his contract. I also think he'll gradually lose playing time down the stretch. Steve McClendon, Buster Screen, Morris Claiborne, and Bilal Powell, I think this is all of their final year with the Jets. I think Claiborne's going to struggle with injuries a little more than he did last year. I think Screen will be his usual up-and-down self but I think he will leave in free agency. Same thing with Claiborne, same thing with Powell, who you know I love, but I think his time has kind of ran its course here. I do think he will lead all Jets in total offensive yards for running backs. I think Crowell will have more total rushing yards and more total touchdowns, and Crowell will be back next year, while Powell will not, as the Jets will look to Eli McGuire to try to pick up some of the slack of what Powell was doing, even with McGuire missing the first half of the season. I think he'll be integrated heavily into what they do the final at least five or six games of this season. Jermaine Curse is another guy who I think will have a much smaller role this year than he did last year, and this will be his last year with the team. I think he'll finish with about 35 to 40 catches. I think Terrell Pryor is probably in that 20 to 30 catch range with three or four touchdowns. Really, it'll be Robbie Anderson and Quincy Inouye pacing the team. I think Anderson just gets over 1,000 yards and has about five touchdowns this season. I also think tight end Neil Sterling will be the most involved tight end in the Jets passing game and finish with somewhere between 30 and 40 catches as well. I don't think any rookies outside of Sam Darnold and Nathan Shepard are going to have a major impact on the team this season. Um, I also don't think Ardarius Stewart will have any impact on the team this season, and I don't anticipate him being on the roster when the season is over. Same thing goes for Jordan Leggett. As for our boy Sam Darnold, whatever he, what the main attraction is for this season, of course, uh, my estimated stat line for him is that he will start between 14 and 16 games. Maybe he gets banged up and misses a week or two, or maybe the Jets don't risk something with him down the stretch if he's not 100%. Uh, he'll finish the season with about 23 touchdowns, 14 interceptions, a little over 200 rushing yards, a couple of rushing touchdowns, three to four lost fumbles, and he'll throw for somewhere between 3,100 and 3,500 yards with a YPA of somewhere between 6.6 and 7.2 and a completion percentage just north of 60. This will be Josh McCown's last season as an active player for the Jets. Next year, he will join their coaching staff. Uh, probably has their quarterback coach would be my guess. Uh, breaking down the Jets' 7-9 record a little more, I think they'll go 3-3 three and three in the AFC East this year. I'm not ready to give them a win against New England yet, but that's not out of the question. One way or another, they'll get to 3-3 three or three in the AFC East. I think they'll go 1-3 and three against the NFC North, which is a pretty challenging slate of games, uh, looking at the Vikings, Packers, the Bears now with Khalil Mack, and of course the Lions in Week 1, which is a game I do think the Jets have a chance uh, to potentially steal. Um, 
Elsewhere around, I have them at 2-2 two and two against the AFC South. Uh, we know that they're going to play the Jaguars. We know that they're going to play the um, Colts. We know that they're going to play uh, Houston and Tennessee. That division's a little hard to read right now. Uh, I don't. It's really going to depend on the health of the quarterbacks, particularly when you look at guys like Watson and Luck. I think they'll go 2-2. Two and two. I also think they'll get a win against Cleveland uh, on that Thursday night Week 3 game. Ultimately, all adding up, of course, as I mentioned, uh, to seven and nine. Uh, a few other predictions that I had scattered throughout. I do think the Jets will finally break their streak of not scoring a defensive touchdown. It will be Tremaine Johnson who does get a pick six. I think Johnson will be solid uh, for the Jets, a top ten to twelve corner in the league, and similar to Jamal Adams and Leonard Williams, be a Pro Bowl alternate. I also think that Jeremy Bates will be a noticeable upgrade over John Morton, and he will be back again as the team's offensive coordinator next season. And um, I think that pretty much wraps it up uh, on where I see this team headed in uh, 2018. I was right on my record prediction last year at 5-11. and The year before, I was way off in expecting the Jets to replicate their 2015 success, which they didn't. So no idea where it's going to land on the spectrum this year. Are you going to Jets first Jaguars in Jacksonville week four? If so, make sure you join the Game Day Tailgate Experience for a tailgate before the game hosted by ABC's The Bachelor, Robbie Hayes, and New York Jets icon, Fireman Ed. Game Day Experience, GTE, is a proud partner of the Jacksonville Jaguars and will be hosting their four-hour, all-inclusive, all-you-can-eat open bar tailgate for select games throughout the 2018 football season, including Jets vs. Jags in Week 4. The four-hour pregame tailgate includes unlimited food and a four-hour open bar. There'll be TVs on to watch the pregame football coverage, live music and entertainment, and a family-friendly tailgating experience with different games and amenities. They'll also be auctioning off select Jaguars and Jets memorabilia for you to potentially take home. Again, Robbie Hayes will be there from The Bachelor, and of course, Fireman Ed, New York Jets icon. Make sure you go get your tickets at gtepresents.com. Again, that's gtepresents.com for the best tailgate party out there for any Jet away game that you are going to this year. Don't miss week four, Jets vs. Jags. Check out gtepresents.com. Before I jump into my interview with Bob, a couple quick thoughts on Detroit for week one. Jets currently running at a a six-and-a-half-point underdog. I believe the last over-under I saw had it at about 44 feel like that's a little low. If you ask me right now, uh, before we have all the information about potential injuries, I would say this game is going to go over, and I think the Jets will cover. I'm not necessarily sure they're going to win, but this feels like it will be a close game, although cover six and a half. I think it will be a fairly high-scoring game with both teams in the mid to high 20s. A little concerned about how the Jets' defense matches up against Detroit, particularly if Marcus May is banged up on the back end We know Matthew Stafford's not going to be shy about attacking down the field. We know Detroit has weapons in that passing game to take advantage of any weaknesses the Jets have there. I'm also a little concerned about Buster Screen matched up with a guy like Golden Tate in the slot where he does a lot of damage. And, you know, Screen is going to struggle with missed tackles or with penalties. Detroit is going to be hammering him with targets all night as Tate really sort of functions as that lead receiver and does most of his work in that short to intermediate passing game out of the slot. We also know Detroit has a collection of backs who are pretty good in the passing game that could be problematic for a Jets defense to match up with when they're so weak at linebacker. So I don't think Detroit's going to have 
all too many problems moving the football. I think the Jets' lack of pass rush is going to be problematic there. Uh, I think for the Jets, if they're going to win this game or cover that spread, it's going to be a matter of how many points can they score. And that's a, that's a tall task for a rookie quarterback, but we're dealing with a Matt Patricia defense who we know uh, can be a little inconsistent. So uh, Detroit, of course, has some talent in their front seven and spread across that defense with guys like Ezekiel Ansah and Darius Slay on the back end. Uh, not Still not one of the league's better or elite defenses. And if this offensive line can hold up and they can get some semblance of a running game going to take pressure off Darnold, I think they're going to be able to move the football. And it's just going to be a matter of can they convert in the red zone with guys like Quincy Inouye, Terrell Pryor, Neil Sterling, and Robbie Anderson. Can they hit a big play over the top early in this game to get Darnold's confidence going? I think they're going to start out getting Donald a lot of easy completions to get him in a rhythm. You're going to see a lot of screens. You're going to see a lot of rollouts and bootlegs to get him going. And I think, again, this is going to be a game that's in sort of the mid to high 20s. And I think Donald's going to be put in a position where it's a little bit of a shootout on primetime. And I think he's going to make some highlight-worthy plays. He's probably going to have a couple turnovers as well because I think the Jets are going to have to throw the football a lot in this game, which is an ideal for a rookie's first start. But I just don't love how their defense matches up against Detroit. I think for their defense to have a good outing, they're going to have to force a couple turnovers. And we know sometimes that turnovers could happen at random, but I think Detroit's going to be able to move the football pretty well. So if the Jets can find a way to force a fumble, score a defensive touchdown, force Stafford into a mistake or two, maybe that changes the complexion of this game. But again, initial reaction, 6.5 is too many points for Detroit. This game feels like it will be closer than that. It also feels like it's going to go over. Uh, I'll have further thoughts and predictions on their week one matchup on the website. And we are now joined by this week's guest, the voice of the New York Jets. Second time joining the podcast, Bob Shoes And Bob, thank you for joining us. No problem. Bob, right off the top, Sam Darnold starting for the New York Jets week one. Uh, youngest starting quarterback in the NFL. The only first round rookie to start. First off, how surprised are you or not surprised are you that Darnold is starting week one? And how does this compare in your memory to when the Jets started both Geno Smith week one and Mark Sanchez in week one, the two other recent times they went with a rookie under center to start the season? Um, yeah, well, obviously, Geno Smith started for, you know, <laughs> regrettable reasons. Um, but I would say if you asked me like a month ago, if I would be surprised that Darnold would start, I would say mildly surprised um, because I thought going into training camp that he was every bit, if not more talented than anyone he was in competition with, obviously. You know, this was kind of mirroring the situation that they had with Christian Hackenberg where they were giving Hackenberg every opportunity to start and the coaching staff this year was going to give Darnold every opportunity to start. And he basically told us at the time that they expected that Darnold would be the, the starter in Washington and against the Giants. And the, the purpose of which was to gauge if he was going to be ready to do this. And what he said to us that night on the sideline was, and you know, unlike last year, I don't think this kid is going to give the job back. So I think early on, the guys that were close to this competition knew that it was tie goes to the rookie, and they knew that he was going to be good enough to win it. And he did. He went out and won it. 
What is your expectation level, both for Darnold and for this team this year, knowing they're going to be starting a rookie at quarterback? What what type of production are, are you looking for from him? And does win total really matter all that much for the Jets this year compared to Darnold's overall development? Basically, could this team go six and ten, seven and nine, and even though it will be you know three straight years or four straight years then for Bowles and McCagnan of missing the playoffs, that will not matter because they got the centerpiece that matters the most. But what what are your expectations overall for both? Yeah, I mean, you know, what I've heard about both guys kind of being quote unquote on the hot seat if they don't win a certain number of games, none of that's true. Uh they have a hundred million dollars in cap space next season for a reason. There's a reason they didn't spend it this year. They didn't go out and you know, mortgage the future to trade for Khalil Mack. They didn't throw money around in the free agent market. I mean, this year is supposed to be about letting Sam Darnold go play and letting the young players around him go play. And then next year, you know, you you spend the money in hopefully a very educated way because you know what you've got. So, yeah, I don't don't expect that they're going to be a playoff team this year. I don't expect that they're even going to be a 500 team this year. I think... Seven and nine is probably a pretty good guess. If they go nine and seven and they're playing for a playoff spot in December, then to me they've had a wildly successful year. But I think that they can have a very successful year if you just if Sam Darnold passes the eye test, and I think he will. <clears throat> you just let him go play, and if as the year goes on, he looks like a starting NFL quarterback that he gets it, that he sees it, that. In crunch time, it doesn't look like it's too big for him. And I don't think that any of that, I, mean, I think at the end of the year, everybody's going to say, oh, they, they, you know, they got the right guy and they've got their quarterback. And I, <clears throat> again, I don't think that it hinges upon a specific win total. So, no, I mean, I think, I, I do think that it is about development more than it is about actually, <clears throat> you know, seeing whether or not this team is in a wild card race in December. Moving away from Sam. Who else on this team are you looking most forward to watching and who's most important when it comes to really being long-term cornerstones in this team? We know, you know, we know Leonard Williams and Jamal Adams are, are kind of two of the obvious candidates, but is there anybody else on the offensive or the defensive side of the football that you're really looking towards as being someone who's going to be here throughout the duration of Darnold's rookie contract when this team is really going to be trying to make a push as a contender starting? next season after they spend the way you just outlined yeah i mean I, I would think up the middle of their defense is where the strength has to be um i think avery williamson was a good signing i don't think that he is you know a, a franchise changing player but the guy next to him needs to be more than what he's been and you know i think anybody that's watched darren lee knows that you know, he, you can make an argument he's been somewhat miscast in the role that he's in. And so playing with Leonard Williams in front of him, playing with those two safeties behind him, you've got to be as good and as strong as those guys are because this defense needs to be built from inside out because they want to play press coverage and they want to turn those guys on the inside loose and get after the quarterback. And, um, you know, they, they can be a good defense if they're strong up the middle, because we've already seen what the guys on the outside are. I I think, you know, obviously bringing Tremaine Johnson in, he's, you know, that, that 
that's money well spent for the way that they want to play defense. Um, Claiborne, obviously, is a very, I think, solid number two corner. Uh, now he doesn't have to be the number one. Now they can play with their matchups, I think, more accurately. Um, and the two safeties are going to be there for 10 years, I think. I mean, I think they're kind of cornerstone players. So, you know, when you, when you look at the heart of the defense, the perimeter around the heart of the defense is decent. Um, what they still lack, and even bringing a Talchu in as a free, you know, as a, as a waiver pickup, um, they don't have that one-on-one bend the edge pass rusher. And that's not something that I expect they're going to find this year. So it's, I don't think there's anybody on the team where I'm saying, you know, I really want to see that skill set out of that guy. I don't think that that guy is on the team, but I do think that Darren Lee has the skill set to be better than he's been. And we'll, we'll see if he can build on that skill set this year or if they're going to be looking for someone on the inside as well as someone on the outside. Back over to the offense. The offensive line became a reason that the people who could not see that it was inevitable that Darnold was going to play used as the main reason that he shouldn't play. Concerns about the depth and talent overall of this unit, which I think have been a little overstated. I think with Spencer Long replacing Wesley Johnson and if Brian Winters is healthy, this unit will be at least around roughly league average and certainly not bad enough to keep Sam Darnold on the bench. NFL quarterbacks get hit. It's part of the job. How concerned are you about this offensive line, and who do you think is maybe being a little undervalued on that unit? Well, I mean, I think concerned is a fair way to put it. Um, I think I think the two guards are solid. I think Long is solid. I mean, obviously, I think Shell still has to prove himself as an average to above average tackle. I think we know what Kelvin Beecham is. Um, I think Kelvin Beecham is what Bill Parcells would refer to back in the day as a hold-the-fort guy. He can hold the fort, he can block, and he can play, but he's not dominant. And against a big-time pass rusher, he needs help. And I do think that because those are your two tackles, in next year's draft or in free agency, they'll be looking at tackle. Um, so I agree. I mean, I don't, I don't think anybody is going to confuse the Jet offensive line with the Cowboys offensive line. But having said that, Sam Darnold is the most athletic quarterback they had. Even with Bridgewater on the roster, he was the most athletic quarterback that they had. So he's the best equipped guy to run around back there if necessary and defend himself. He's way more athletic than Josh McCown. Um, I would say Teddy Bridgewater with a 100% healthy knee and Sam Darnold probably kind of on an equal footing as as an athlete but I think with Bridgewater coming back after that much inactivity I I don't think he's nearly as athletic right now as as Donald is so I mean I get why fans would in a vacuum be worried about Donald behind the offensive line but if it's not Donald back there it's going to be someone that's far more incapable of protecting themselves when they have to get out of the pocket and create a play and run around and avoid the rush than him So I I never looked at the offensive line not being full of pro bowlers as a reason to not start Sam Darnold. I mean, to me, his athleticism says it's actually a reason to start him. And um, that's why I think they – and you'll see the quick passing game, and you'll see a lot of move-the-pocket stuff. You'll see a lot of bootleg, a lot of play action. 
because he's so um, good and accurate on the run and has great feet and is able to, to play while running as well as he is, I mean, that's a strength of his. So that takes a lot of heat off an offensive line, and that'll be something that they utilize regularly in their offense. The, the skill position players around him, the main ones we're going to you know, be seeing get most of the touches this year, you have Isaiah Crowell, Bilal Powell, and then you have Robbie Anderson, Quincy Inouye. Jermaine Curse may miss week one, but you figure he'll be in the mix as sort of the third guy, and then you have Terrell Pryor, who was bought o- brought over. Out of those sort of five or six guys, who do you think kind of takes the lead as the top one or two playmakers on this team? And is there anyone else I didn't mention who you think could have a bigger-than-expected role? No, those are the guys. I mean, I think if Crowell can stay healthy, he's the most complete running back that they've got. Um, although I think Bilal Powell's always been underrated. Um, so I do expect that, you know, it ought to be kind of a 50-50 workload split between the two. Um, I think the guy with the highest ceiling, just because he really is a physical freak, is Pryor. I mean, and there's nobody like him on the team. There's nobody that's got his size and blend of athleticism, but can he stay healthy? Um, you know, and, and there's a guy that, you know, all the natural tools are there. It's just a question of how badly he wants to do this. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, Curse is really, when healthy, he's a pro. He's just a, he just shows you, he shows a young wide receiver room how to be professionals. Uh, Quincy Inunua strikes me as that just in a younger body. If he can stay healthy, he is a true pro. He is always going to show you from a, a work ethic standpoint, you know, I mean, I could see him, you know, kind of cut out of that Jericho Cotchery mode of just you. There's always going to be a team that's going to want Quincy and Nunwell on their team and in their locker room because he's that kind of guy. Robbie Anderson is, you know, more of a wild card as a guy off the field. He's the only thing that they've got that really resembles a home run hitter on the field. Um, and that'll be something that I think this year, again, helps them answer. They're going to look at Robbie Anderson. They're going to look at Pryor because, you know, short-term commitment there. They're going to look at the health of Anunwa. They're going to let all these guys play. And then next year they're going to say to themselves, we've got this $100 million to spend. Where do we need to spend it? And, you know, I do think that giving Sam Darnold weapons is going to be something that they will prioritize in the offseason. But exactly how many and where is about this season telling them, and they're not going to know that until they, you know, let these guys go play. All right, Bob, appreciate you taking the time. Looking forward to following you all season. Everyone give him a follow on Twitter, at ESPN. Bob, good luck this season, and it should be an entertaining one. Thanks, I appreciate it.